Well, here we are, number five, and it's been great for me to share with you. I've just enjoyed adding names to the faces here, and uh, there's people that I feel I've got small connections with now here just from having spent time with you and talking to you and but most of all, I think being here worshiping together with you in the name of Jesus. And that's the family of God. And the title of this sermon is Captivated by the Bride. And I'm, I'm not going to read the theme verse. Uh, you just saw that up here. And um, when I think of creation, when I think of beauty, that we enjoy, that we look at, that we take in, that is to cause our affections to roll up into worship. And then when I think about the experience of the Bride of Christ, it just touches me deeply. And that is, in fact, how God describes his view of the church. You don't need to turn there. I'm just going to read two verses in Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. And I would jump over into verse 31. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and his church. I would just be curious if I was to ask you, how do you feel about your church? What, what would come? I'm not asking you to answer. I'm just asking you to think about what words come to your mind? It's a question I ask a lot of people. I go to different events and I'm sitting there having lunch across the table from someone and I don't know them, but I just go there. I say, what do you, how do you feel about your church? What do you like about your church? And uh, I get reactions from, hmm, good question, to... I remember distinctly one young lady going, well, that told you something right there. That's how she feels about her church. And so that's something that uh, as we read these verses, we can say, well, that's, that's beautiful. And then we have the verses in 1 Corinthians 1, 2 that refers to the called out assembly. And, and the word it used is church. Uh, and Jesus said to Peter, upon this rock, I will build my church, the called out assembly. And then in Ephesians 3, verses 14 and 15, it says this. And you, you can just turn there because we're going to spend our time in Ephesians 4. Uh, but Ephesians 3, verses 14 and 15 says this. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And what I just, what I read those verses, the, what I want to point out in these verses is whole family, the whole family in heaven and earth is named, and secondly, that we may be able to comprehend with all the saints, together. We are on this journey together as a family, 
as a family of God. And so when we think about the bride of Christ and without spot or wrinkle, it, it's easy to think of the bride of Christ. And, and with my role in, my, in, in church, uh, in my position, I've had the opportunity to, to be sort of in that prime seating where I get to view up close and personal the, the looks on faces of the young grooms and the young brides as she comes down the aisle and as they come together and meet together at the front and they turn around and it just touches me every time because of what it represents. And, and there's so much work that goes into that moment. And, and maybe I'm going to discourage Hannah and, and Matt here, but, um, <clears throat> you know, there's all the planning and preparation and the excitement and stress of worrying about, you know, is, is, are we going to be able to have that building or not? Or if we're going to be outside, is the weather going to hold out or not? And how many people do we invite and where do we stop and start and, and who, what kind of food are we going to have? And, and then the dress. And I've seen that because my wife does a lot of sewing and we've just rolled out, we, she has rolled out three wedding dresses in the last couple of months. And like, I'm always relieved to see them leave the house because I'm just afraid that somehow, some way, you know, my morning coffee is going to end up all over that thing. And, uh, and so there's that moment when that all comes together and it's just like, almost breathless, and, and there's just this deep love and affection, and I've seen young men, young tough men, just tears running down their cheeks. I've also seen deer in the headlight look as well, and, and that has more to do with just being in front of a lot of people. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, I got one of them burned in my memory. But uh, this is the bride of Christ. What does it mean to be without spot or wrinkle? And I'll, this kind of goes along with the dress idea, but I have to tell a story about Fred's mom and uh, Gert's sister and quilts. You don't mess with their quilts. And we have a yearly country fest in auction, and... Uh, they sell quilts there, and that's really the big part of the income of that day. And uh, so I had a produce stand there, I mean, as part of that event. And, uh, and so at the end of the day, when we still had a lot of produce left, the uh, auction people had said, like, hey, if you want to run some stuff through the auction here to finish it off, that'd be great. Like, no problem there. And so it was already you know, relatively late in the afternoon, so I took a box of tomatoes in, and I came walking into the room, and there was a white table here with white quilts folded up. It was the back of the quilt, white quilts on top. And I came walking in kind of in a hurry, and I started to swing the tomatoes down to the quilts, and Fred's mama said, Ronald Joder, don't you dare. <laughs> It was like my full name, and uh, <clears throat> I'm still traumatized by that, actually. I just don't go near those things, but they didn't want one spot or one wrinkle on those things. They bring a lot of money. I mean, $1,500, $3,000, so I understand that. But what do you think of? That's, that's all beautiful. We think of the church, that's awesome. Then we think of family, and it's a little bit more like, hmm. That's where it fleshes out a little bit. It's easy to say, I, I, just, I love God, and you can sit there and, and alone and, and in worship and, and in praise and, and feel that affection. But then there's your brothers and your sisters, and what is God calling us to as his bride, uh, how to relate to each other. And, you know, I think that we saw kind of the worst of us in the last few years of COVID. 
uh, it just it brought to the surface an awful lot of ugliness that I think people's opinions and preferences became more important than the church, the bride of Christ. And I think it was hurtful. And I think that there's a lot of people who are disillusioned with the bride of Christ as we sit here today because of what they experienced. It isn't about who was right, who was wrong, but the way that we treat each other really matters, really is important. And, and so let me read to you Ephesians 4. I'm going to read the first few verses. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. When we think about the fruits of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, what do you think of? What do you feel the call is on your life in living out the fruit of the Spirit as you relate to your brothers and sisters in Christ? How does that affect your relationships, affect the way that you work through decision-making, the way that you uh, handle it or deal with it or respond when someone has a completely different opinion than you do, and they're certain they're right. You know, the, the things that we say and do matter, and in Proverbs there's a verse that actually says that words are like the piercing of a sword. And I had a chapel meditation at school one day, and I had a, a knife handle, it was about eight inches long, with a blade that's probably ten inches long. And so I had that there. And I asked one of the boys, who I was pretty sure wouldn't do this, uh, I had him come up, and I said, so take this knife, and I want you to just plunge it into my chest. And he said, no, I'm not doing that. And, uh, and I, was, I was appreciative of that. Uh, I really had no intention that he would follow through, and I, and I was prepared for whatever. But, uh, th but I said, you know what? That's exactly what this scripture says. When we lose our minds and we just say things that are, are mean and harmful, just let's call them what they are, it's like taking a knife and plunging it into their chest, the, the piercings of a sword. That's what that means in Proverbs. And so there are words that bring life, and there are words that bring death. And so I think we need to consider, as we think about us being the bride and not wanting to put the tomatoes on the white quilt to create the spot, to create the wrinkle, that we would have this very defensive mindset, if you will, that we are not going to be a part of that, that we are going to protect the bride at all costs, that we are going to be who we should be. And so it just doesn't always work out well. Uh, our family life, sometimes we just lose our minds. I, I remember as a young, well, again, I was old enough, I guess, uh, that I could do this. I was probably 14 or 15, and my sister was being really annoying at what she was doing. And I asked her to stop doing what she was doing. It was like she would reach over and do something. It was whatever it was I was doing. I don't even remember. And I said, please stop. And she did it again. And I said, if you do that again, I'm going to pick you up. I'm going to take you outside and drop you in that mud puddle, which at the bottom of our driveway, there was a big mud puddle. And uh, a little bit later, and I, I mean, you know, integrity and honesty and being a man of your word is important. And so I did, in fact, scoop her up, and I took her outside, and I dropped her right in the mud puddle. And uh, I got in trouble for that. Uh, I really, I, that was not just uh, that I got in trouble for that. I mean, I really disagreed with that because I had given fair warning. But you know what? Sometimes... That's what we do with each other, with our words. 
it's like we, we just drop people in the mud puddle. People who disagree with us, it's my way or the highway. And we make, we major in minor things. Uh, you know, we're, we're in the process of a new church building uh, that we've just moved into, and we're, we're trying to decide how the seating should be. And so we've tried the chairs, you know, facing this way. We've tried the, ch the chairs facing this way, uh, every which way. We've, we've changed it all around, and there's people that feel strongly it should be this way, and there's people that feel strongly it should be this way. Like, what are we going to do? Is the simple thing of how the chairs are turned going to cause a problem in the bride of Christ? I sure hope not. And I have 100% faith it won't. Um, but boy, we've got to call ourselves, not just the leaders of your church calling you, but you, yourself. You need to call yourself, your own heart, to that kind of level of I will defend the bride of Christ. I will defend what he is about and what we represent to other people. And so in verse 2, when it says, I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called with all lowliness and gentleness and long-suffering, that's the fruit of the Spirit and endeavoring to keep everything within you. That's what I'm talking about. Everything within you. And you just stop and think about the level of respect. And that's what I want to lean on. That we, would, that we would realize that our brothers and sisters in Christ are a child of God. And that we would treat them with great respect. And we have the story of David who was being chased by Saul. Saul was trying to kill him. And David is just on the run. And at some point, David ends up in a cave. And Saul is out there looking for David, trying to kill him. And Saul says, you know what, I need to relieve myself. And I am going to go into that cave over there to do so. And so he comes in there all alone because his men give him privacy. But in, he comes into this dark cave, and in there is David and his men. But he also takes a little nap in there. David's men are like, David, like, this is of God. Like, he's placed him right here. Like, this is, and I don't know what they were quoting exactly, but they said, this is the hand of the Lord as he promised to deliver him into your hands. And... David said, no. And he actually, he slipped out, took a little piece of his clothing, sliced it off with that sword that he could have just finished him off, and he took it. But you know what? He even felt bad about that. And he said, I will not harm the Lord's anointed. And I just think that that is a tremendous example from Scripture for, for how we should view each other in the church. That we should have that level of respect, that level of, of a mindset and an attitude to, to preserve the bride, pure and holy, to do everything within us endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, I realize it just doesn't always happen. I realize sometimes people are not what they should be. And you know what? We cannot control that. But the one thing you can control is who you should be as a follower of Christ. And so let's keep reading in, in, from verse 4. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. 
Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts to men. This is the beauty that God intended. And now this, he ascended. What does it mean but that he first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave himself, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth for the body for the edifying of itself in love. We have a living, breathing church. The, the called out assembly, the bride of Christ, representing Jesus to the world around us. And he has given us gifts to do that. And you know what? As we've talked about before, Satan can take those gifts and twist them and, and cause us to end up using them in a way that's not helpful at all. And we start hurting the bride of Christ with the very gift he has given us. And what he has intended for us is to find joy in what we do. And, you know, I can speak for myself in, in my calling uh, when I was, and, and this is how I think God works um, in many ways. When I was young, uh, our, our house had a um, the living room, had been, t had been a wall between this room and this room. The wall was gone, so there's two doorways, and then the dining room. And so what it created was a circle. And I would ride my tricycle around that circle, and I, I would go over on the desk and pick up Dad's Bible that was laying there, and I would pack it with me. And I would ride it around, and then every once in a while I would stop, and I would, I would stand there, and I would open up the Bible, and I don't even know what I said or what I did, but I just know that in my mind I was like Paul on a missionary journey. And I was preaching to these people. But what I felt even at that young age was this burning fire in my gut. And just, that's the only way I can describe it. And it's years later, I forget about it. I don't even remember that that happened. It's nothing that stuck with me. But one day I'm driving down the road and as we were going through a process of an ordination in our church and the way that we were going about it was to uh, just have people express what they felt called to uh, as a first step. And, and I was driving down the road and I'd, I'd all, often felt like there was something out there, something that I was to be doing but I didn't know what. And, and I'd felt that significantly enough that as I was driving, I just said, what is it, Lord, that you want me to do? And I, I smacked the steering wheel with my fist. I said, what is it that you want me to do? And in a nanosecond, I remembered that burning feeling in my gut. Just my mouth dropped open. And I was like, that's it. That's it. And, and so I didn't know what that would look like, but in the process of, of sharing that with our church, uh, in that journey, um, I was called to 
preach, and I would say that I feel the pleasure of God when I preach. And it is when I feel the most closest to him. It's just before I get up. And I'll be honest, at times I'm terrified. And many times people have said to me, like, do you get nervous at all? And I'm like, yeah, I get nervous. I get real nervous. And sometimes I don't want to do it anymore. But you know what? God calls us to be faithful, and and it is in that. It doesn't mean it's always pleasant. It doesn't mean it's always easy. But it is in that is where I feel called to speak out of what God has placed in my heart. And so when we have these giftings, it is for the building up of the body, the edifying of itself. And, you know, there's spiritual gifts and there's other interests. And I just, I love to hear things that people do that they're interested in. Just over lunch, talking to Carl and and hearing his passion for things that he's had a lot of experience in and how it might be uh, able to be used to further the kingdom of God in a bigger picture. I love that. I love sitting at uh, Tim and... I went there. Tim and Ray, yes. Sitting there last night having a snack with them and talking about just having a reading night uh, once a week where they just, they have an interest in reading and books and like to encourage that in other people. And so they've made a way for people to stop by and in a nice, comfortable, enjoyable setting, uh, sit there and read together. Uh, I just enjoy things like that. I like hearing about things like that. And so I would encourage you to think about those things. I often think uh, that we, you know, we tend to start out looking at the, the bigger spiritual gifts, but sometimes I think when we look at those smaller things and see how they play into the bigger picture, we often find our gifting in that way. But there's, there's just great joy in that, uh, in doing that, in, in being part of the kingdom of God. And so... The point is never about glorifying yourself. It is always about bringing glory to God. And kind of a funny story, but my Bible, I know this sounds kind of holy, but my Bible was falling apart. Um, And I did not want to start over with a new Bible. Um, I've got lots of things marked in there, and I, I just did not want to start over. Um, there's coffee stains in there. Uh, it's my Bible. But the, it, the outside was falling apart. And I heard about this Amish lady in the Springs who would refinish the, your Bible. And so I stopped in and uh, talked to her about it. And she said, yeah, I can do that. And uh, she said, what do you want on there? And she opens up this drawer and there's all this leather in there and different colors and She's like, I got one in here I think you might like. And she pulled out this, what did she call it? Um, Distressed leather, I think it was. And I said, uh, oh, I like that. And she said, I thought you would. It's very masculine. And, uh, And so that's what we went with. And she redid my Bible, but I wanted to put something on the front. I want to have something put on here uh, to identify it as my Bible. And so I told my wife, I said, I'm going to put, Ron's sword for his glory. And she said, your glory or God's glory? You know, she knew what I meant, but um, that's just, that's the burning of my heart. Um, Every time I preach is to think that I'm influencing, you are hearing from the word of God through the Holy Spirit uh, your view of God is being shaped. You know, if you, if you think about the word theology, you might say, I just don't bring those big words around here. Uh, but theology is just simply the study of the character and nature of God. And so if you've been sitting in church all your life, you have a theological viewpoint of some way or another. You, you have a way that you think about God. And that shapes how you live your life. And so every time we 
have a sermon, you know, we're, we're affecting, we're developing a, a theology. And so, all for the glory of God, that his name would be honored. And, and I want to just look at verse 16 briefly, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Frank Reed uh, recently gave a, uh, what is it, what is it when you have, uh, you know, you have four letters and they each represent something, what's that called? Okay, yeah. So he gave a, uh, a thing for wife that applies to the church. And actually, that's really neat because wife refers to, you know, bride. But wife, W-I-F-E, uh, worship, inspiration, fellowship, and evangelism. And those all are part of the church. But you know what we do? Oftentimes, and, and I've, been a, I've been in part of it in the past, churches disagree or it becomes an intense argument about being outward-minded, outward-focused, or inward-focused. And I understand that. I get that. I, I see why that is. And I was very much in the camp of being outward-focused. That would be good, right? And I still am. But I don't even think of it anymore as inward focused, outward focused. I just see it as one. To, to say that this is, all, this is what's important and this is all that matters is to neglect the relationships that we have to each other and the building up of each other. To, to sit here and think that on a Sunday morning when you preach that you don't necessarily have the lost from the city sitting here, so to speak, but guess what? You've got younger and, and slightly older and slightly older. And you know what? You're preaching the gospel to your youngest. The youngest person in your church is hearing the gospel. Not only are they hearing it, but they're seeing it in your lives. And many young people are burned in their view of who God is because of his people. And I did a, an estimate for a guy that told me, he, he said, I don't go to church. He said, I'm good with the man upstairs, but I just don't get along with his people. It's like, that's not how it works. Um, how shall men know that you are my disciples? You have that on your sign out here, I think, or you come in the door, and that ye have love for one another. We are called to love. And so in verse 15, I'm, I'm backing up one verse where it says, speaking the truth in love. You know that we can share the truth in a way that the message is completely lost. When we, when we just off the top, out of anger, out of just frustration, just let somebody have it, you can, say, you can say words to them that are 100% true, but the message will be rejected because of the attitude of your heart. And the attitude that just shows forth from you could be one of arrogance, could be one of rage. And so truth in love is critical. We can also never share the truth. And, and, and just avoid difficult things. I believe that's something we've got to grow in. That, that we would be okay with saying, hey, can I take you out for lunch? I, I just want to, I want to share something with you that I, I see in your life. And that's after, that's after prayer. That's after having thought about it and evaluated your own heart. It's critical. We've got to do that first, preparing our heart to even share it with them and, and to even be heard 
by them. And I know personally, just as a father, I know I failed in that many times growing up as I got frustrated with my children and what they were doing or not doing. And what I said to them was true, but the way that it came out and the, the irritation in my voice was hurtful. It was hurtful to my children, and it was hurtful to my wife. And God has been showing me that and working in my heart in that, that just because I can be a more emotional, intense person, uh, that's no right to, um, to speak to people out of frustration. And so we can cause so much damage uh, when we do that. And we have to give grace. Uh, and one of the things I think that we do when we do it well is you earn respect. You earn respect from those that you are honest enough to share with. You know, and what I mean by that is one day I was painting at work in our office there. Um, and so throughout the day, uh, I, was, I was painting and I walked in Joel's office and I'm there talking to him, having a conversation with him. And shortly after that, I walked over into the bathroom and I looked in the kitchen sink and I got like a big white dot of paint right on my nose. I'm like, that's embarrassing. So I marched back over to Joel's office and I just like, hey, Joel, what's the deal? Like, I got white paint on my nose. You sat there and had a whole conversation with me and didn't tell me. I mean, I was joking with him. But you know what? Wouldn't, wouldn't we like that? Uh, in that? In that manner, in that setting, we can appreciate when someone says, hey, you got a little something on your nose. Um, we have to be willing to do that. It doesn't always turn out well. Uh, my boss, <laughs> my, so Dale Curtis started the business that I'm in, and his son Joel has it now, but Dale was was a, uh, you didn't leave any stone unturned. And uh, he was at a job one time and, and talking to this lady and there's dogs everywhere, big dogs, hair everywhere. And he said, uh, oh, I'm sorry, ma'am, but uh, you, you, have a, you have a hair on your lip. <laughs> he like reaches up and she's like, oh no, it's attached. <laughs> and she just had this one long hair growing off her lip. And uh, for whatever reason, I don't know, but uh, that time it got him in trouble. But I distinctly remember the time when I was in Canada and we were expecting, and it wasn't our plan, it wasn't our plan to have a baby when we were up there. It wasn't our plan. And <clears throat> I was not, I, w I was not excited and it was more of a weight than than anything. It just you know the the having a baby up there, the hospital system up there, and you know being used to our doctors at home and being away from home and all of that. But Merle Burkholder, who I have a great deal of respect for, and is largely tied to this, he called me into his office one day and and he said, you know, Ron, I want to share something with you. He said when, and he proceeded to tell me how one of their children that came along that wasn't in their plans and, and his own struggle in accepting that. But he said, you know, I really believe a child can feel love and acceptance even in the womb. And he said, he said I, I'm, I'm not saying that this is the case, but he said, I, I kind of feel or sense in you that you're struggling with that and you're not accepting it. And you know what, he was 100% right. And he earned my respect big time, right then and there, based on him lovingly sharing the truth with me. And it, it changed from that point on. I, I took what he said to heart and realized that's true. I had a blind spot and I didn't see it. And I didn't realize it. And so we have to call each other out on our blind spots. Um, we have to be willing 
to share the truth in love. But I'm highlighting again, praying, inspecting your heart, and going with grace. I preached a sermon one time, and it was all about the, uh, what's the islands Hannah lives on? Uh, Vancouver Islands. Anyway, there's a whole... There's a whole war that almost happened. It's called the Pig War. And I found out about it and started to research it, and I'm like, you know what, that's a good sermon illustration right there. Things that just build up and build up until the militaries were involved. And it, it largely came to a head because one of the guys had a pig, and it got into the other commanding officer's garden. You know, they were like having an argument about where the lines between the countries were up there. And his pig got into it, and the pig was shot. And that was it. And it, it came very close to cannon fire. And eventually, some level heads found out what was going on. It was more or less some, some lower-level generals that were kind of letting this thing get out of hand. And so when these guys came in, they quickly got precipitated and, and settled and, and went away. But I had this whole sermon on the war of the pig, and I was trying to think of an acronym for what I wanted to say, and I was thinking prayer, inspection, grace. Pig, there it is. I mean, it, I didn't try it. It just fell into place, and I remember it. That's how I remember it now. Pig, prayer, inspection, grace. If we, I believe, go to our brothers and sisters in love, having done that first, I believe good things can happen. I believe that the body of Christ can be edified, that the uh, unity of the Spirit can manifest itself. And if you stop and think about what was Jesus' intent for us, when he prayed in the garden, what did he pray? He prayed this. I pray, Father, that they all may be one, speaking of his disciples, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may be one in us, that the world might believe that you sent me. But we got a responsibility on our shoulders as the bride of Christ. We have a great responsibility to represent him well to the world around us. And I just think that we've gotten far too comfortable with our church divisions and, and disagreements. And it's like, well, that's just kind of how we are. And, you know, I saw Jason Reed did a presentation and, uh, you know, he kind of started out how all these groups split up and, and he kind of added these little starbursts, you know, and, and pretty soon it just looked like the 4th of July fireworks just flying everywhere. And you know what? I, I realize that's going to happen and, you know, it's been in my background. I've been in and through that. It's not fun. It's not enjoyable. It, it rips at your faith, honestly. And, and so I just believe that we can't get to the place where we become numb to it, where we uh, just say, well, that's just the way we are. We'll just move on. You know, it, it just, that's not what God called us to. That's not unity of the Spirit. And so when we endeavor and do everything we can, with all of our heart, I believe God honors that. Whether it turns out well or not, whether it always has a good result, whether those that you share with are always responsive, or whether or not they, what they share with you is always well done. But we have a call to listen and a call to pay attention and a call to consider, and a call to pray, because we are 
the bride of Christ? Are we captivated by the bride of Christ? The intent and the endeavor with all of our heart to not create spot or wrinkle, that we would be presented that someday Jesus is coming back for his bride, his pride and joy. Those who he died for, and they embraced him and accepted it and are living through the spirit and the power of the resurrection. We are his pride and joy. And someday he's coming back for us. And what will matter at that point? What really matters? How you set up the chairs at church? And suddenly it looks really ridiculous. And I have my strong feelings about it. Like one way feels a whole lot better to me. But you know what? I'm not about to make that a problem. I'm just not. There's no way it's worth it. And, and it can be all kinds of things. And maybe you know right now what it is for you. But we have been given a gift in this kingdom. And you know, when Jesus said to Peter, upon this rock I will build my church, here's what I like about the end of the verse. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You know what, I always thought about that in terms of, well, Satan coming against us. But you know what, I see gates. The gates of hell. To me, I think that indicates we're going after them. We're going after the kingdom of Satan. And as the body of Christ, as um, those who are equipped and trained, who are edified, who are encouraged, I believe we are a strength as a unit. You can, you can think of a Marine, and they have all this training and equipment. And, and they have a weapon, they have a certain backpack, they have a certain clothing, they have a certain knife. Their, their equipment is the same, and you can have someone standing there, and he's an equipped Marine. You look at him, it's like, that's a Marine right there. He knows how to use his equipment. But when you suddenly put him beside another Marine, and another Marine, with the same training and the same mindset, you suddenly have a force. And I just think that that's who we are in the kingdom of God. When we have a unified mindset, the unity of the spirit, one spirit, one body, one father, one mind, I believe that we can, in fact, impact the world around us. And so the word captivated, captivated by all that God is, He's not only the source, but he is the essence of beauty, of justice, of love, of life, of goodness. God said, I am. In him is found true joy that captivates, that motivates, that draws us to see ourselves as part of his amazing kingdom to be a part of his family, the bride of Christ, to know him and to make him known to the world around us. And so that word captivated, I guess I just look at it and say, as we glimpse him and are captivated by him and are drawn to walk towards him, and as we walk, we are moved to action, walking. As we walk, we begin to see more of him, which makes us want to keep walking. And as we keep walking, we are continually drawn, continually captivated, and continually filled with joy. And I would say, this is how I view it. I have been captivated. I am being captivated, and I will be captivated. That's the journey 
that I see myself on. That's the way I view it. And so that was the word on my heart to share with you. I kind of looked at a lot of these things as just sort of back to the basics, if you will, of just who God is. The gospel is simple. But the way that we live our lives is a reflection of what's really happened here. And so to you as a church, I say thank you for the invitation to share with you. It's been a joy. It's been a lot of, uh, I guess, preparation for it, to thinking, thinking about it and what should I share. Um, I've found pleasure in sharing with you and getting to know more of you, my forever family. We are one. Virginia, Maryland, Thailand, no matter where you are, we are one family in the name of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for, where do we start? So much of who you are and the gift of yourself given to us through Jesus, shown us through the Holy Spirit, for the revelation of yourself in your word that teaches us, increases our faith, gives us a description of what a life committed to you looks like. But I just pray, Lord, that we never approach your word as a checklist, that we would look at it as some kind of duty that we find no joy in, but that we would find the source of the book, the essence of joy, fulfillment in living a life for you and interacting with our brothers and sisters in Christ, encouraging, building each other up, hearing truth, sharing truth, in love, in grace, and taking your word through verbal word, through the testimony of our life and our actions each and every day to the world around us, that they would know that we clearly are your children. Help us, Father, and teach us and continue to show us through your Holy Spirit. We thank you. Amen.